So 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 12. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Loving Heavenly Father, we just thank you for David. Lord, will you give him the strength of the Holy Spirit as he brings your word to us this morning? Lord, we just thank you for him and for Liz and all that they do for us and, Lord, their their inspiring faith which inspires us all. Amen. Amen. Right, I'll get this. Are no, later. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try, yeah. I, I've been on radiotherapy this past week, and it's made, made me a bit wobbly. So um, if, if I need Dave Allen's... Are you old enough to remember Dave Allen? On his high chair, with his half a glass of whiskey and his cigarette? Well, I've got the high chair. That was some text, wasn't it? And in a sense, surprisingly rare... Now, as something for Christians to think about. I'm really grateful for Paul last week facing the issue of hell straight on because it's one of those things that we tend not to talk about. We want to talk about comfortable things. But when it comes to this lot of the man of sin and the great rebellion and and all of that and the one that is holding him back, um, we, we are a million miles away from that. But the funny thing is that it used to be a kind of part of a Christian staple diet. So, now, those of you that are young, um, those of you that are, who are old like me, um, will remember the time when Christians used to kind of whet their appetite on stuff like that. They used to love to have Bible studies, to go into all the intricate de- details of, 
speculation. And, and books and films were all about my theory of what's going to happen in the end times. Is there going to be a millennium? When was the last time you were in a discussion where anybody talked about that? Um, is it going to be a secret rapture or a powerful rapture? Who is the Antichrist? Well, it, we thought it was Stalin, but it wasn't. And uh, the popes have had a bit of a bashing because most of them have been labelled with, with that non-flattering term. And, and Christians used to be about this stuff all the time. And uh, we've kind of moved away from it. It's gone out of fashion. We, we tend not to think about the future, tend not to think about heaven, let alone hell, or what is going to happen at the end of the age. We, broadly speaking, you can tell me off at the door if I'm wrong, but it's something that is rarely considered. So it comes as a bit of a shock. We've been going through 1 Thessalonians and now 2 Thessalonians. And what we find is that Paul has a regular emphasis on the end times. There's an eschatological theme. I'm just trying to impress you with long words. And that Paul is al almost uses it as a, an antidote to fear, because in Thessalonica, their circumstances were really quite difficult. Persecution was beginning to kick off. And it was almost as if, and it was the same in Russia, actually, under Stalin, that the, the thought that Jesus was going to come back and put it right, and this, these horrible days are not going to last forever, the second coming of Jesus was a real comfort and Paul, doesn't he, in 1, Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 4, says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. And he is repeatedly teaching. He says in verse 5 that we just read, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Then he says something similar in verse 15, which we didn't get to. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So Paul has, has, has developed this before the Thessalonians. He's majored on it, I think is what we'd say, and that Jesus is going to come back one day and there's going to be a trumpet blast. And, and the Lord Jesus is going to return to planet Earth and, and those who have already died, whether their remains are bits and pieces in the sea or whether they actually got laid in a grave or their ashes were put in an urn, bodies are going to be reformed. Don't ask me how God can do all of that stuff. I'll leave it with him. And uh, those that have been dead in Christ are going to rise first. And those of us that happen still to be alive when he comes are going to be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, you ought to be cheering. And, uh, the, and uh, he says in chapter 5, 
that this, this is going to happen unexpectedly. And then last week, Paul led us through the first chapter where he says at the same time, this is going to be awesome. I mean, awesome. The biggest event that the, that the world has ever seen in terms of spectacular glory. But it's also going to be awful. Because if I'm not related to God on that day, I am in serious trouble. And Paul is bringing these themes through one after another. And, uh, and when we get to 2 Thessalonians 2, he, he's dealing with it because of an idea that's crept in. Not quite sure why, that, uh, that the idea that actually the day of the Lord has already come. <laughs> that Paul is, is, is challenging that. That's, that. He's saying that that's not true. And therefore, he gives all of these details about what's going to happen first. Now, the problem is that we weren't in Thessalonica. And we haven't heard the first installment. We've got his letter, but clearly he explained a lot of this stuff (laughs) person to person. And therefore, at one point he says, you know the one who is holding him back. No, I don't. (laughs) I don't. Because I wasn't there. And, And this has given birth to a tradition with this verse of speculation, of trying to work out the deeper mysteries. Can I just say that Paul didn't write it for that reason. He, he wrote it to help us prepare for the future. And I'd like, to, uh, I'd, I'd like to just take that in three aspects just for us to get our heads around. First of all, in the first two verses, don't believe all you hear. And he says in verses 1 and 2, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. So that what it would seem to suggest is that either people were wrongly interpreting Paul's letter or that somebody had written a fate letter, or that somebody, this, this spirit, um, it, it's a pneuma, it's probably a word of prophecy, have said, no, no, the Lord has already come, or, or it's by a word. Oh, well, I heard Paul say, and the, 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 these ideas were beginning to circulate in Thessalonica. Um, what, what would they base it on? Were they saying then that the day of Pentecost was the day of the Lord? Were they saying that AD 40 when Caligula and his Roman armies marched into Jerusalem with the intention, although he didn't do it, of setting up a statue to himself? is Is he thinking that it's some kind of a reference to the Old Testament Because people come up with these theories that the next time those people with a briefcase knock on your door, you, you know the people with the briefcase? The Jehovah's Witnesses. You see, what, the Jehovah's Witnesses got themselves into a, tr- into a bit of a problem in that they keep speculating as to when 
the, 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 the Lord will come again. That there are there are those. I, I I hope it's not apocryphal, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll qualify it about somebody that knew the day, and the time, and the minute, and the second, and so so he climbed a tree, thinking that um, when that second came, if he leapt off the branch, he'd first of all go down and then go up. Um, as you probably realise, he simply went to hospital. Um, But the Jehovah's Witnesses actually taught that the Lord Jesus was coming back in 1914. And then they had a problem when 1915 came, and they came up with this theory, oh, he did come. He he came to our our offices in Manhattan. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, pigs have got curly tails. So that that these kind of notions were flying around. What do we lose, Paul is saying, and he says we lose two things. If the Lord has already come secretly, and that's the end of all it is, if he's not coming powerfully, well then our expectation of Jesus coming in the clouds in power and glory to wrap this world up it almost robs us of that. But it also, and he says, he robs us of two things. He says that concerning the coming of our Lord, he says, you're actually taking away my hope of the future and are being gathered together in him. This, this notion of rapture that one day, one day, that, that uh, as things are going, I'm probably not going to be alive on the day of his coming. You might be, and I I will be up there first. That's all I just want you to know. I'll get a head start on you. (laughs) Um, But, you know, what a wonderful day for the gathering. When those from centuries past when all the Lord's people are resurrected together, they're going to be popping up from everywhere. Can you imagine that? I I, I remember when I I did geography at Liverpool, and um, I was on a field trip at Tewkesbury, and we were supposed to look at the houses or something, and uh, I was wandering down the high street noting the houses and went down an alley, and there was this old Baptist church, um, which is now some kind of museum, but then it was still functioning as a, a very run-down, small Baptist church. And, and, I, and I remember you got, went in the building, looked round, was all a bit musty, and then the, the graveyard goes down to the seven, that which runs along the bottom, and uh, the the graves. I've never seen a graveyard like it until that day. Look at lying here until the resurrection, waiting for the day when I rise with everybody else. It, that, that Paul is saying, don't believe all you hear because it's going to rob you of our great expectation. I mean, John Wesley isn't going to stay in his grave on City Road in London. He's going to rise. Your Christian family that preceded, that there's going to be this, what, what we call this rapture, this glorious moment 
of new life. And uh, Paul is taking them back to what he taught. As I said in verse 5 and 15, as a source of comfort and clarity and giving them a, a basis to know what believe. And I just wonder, can I just throw this out this morning? I just wonder how clear, I, I'm, I'm not worried whether you have a theory on the man of sin. I don't have a theory on the man of sin. I, I, I don't think he's the president-elect, although I'm sure that somebody will be saying he is. But do, do you know what's going to happen when Jesus comes again? Do, do, do you know what you're looking forward to? Okay, okay, that when that trumpet blast sounds, do, do you know what it's going to be like? Because the Bible tells us all about it. And I, I think it's a really good... Now, if you've got a copy of Wayne Gruden's Systematic Theology, you've got lots to read. I, I thought I'd bring along a book by John Hosier called The End Times. You can buy it for 1p on Amazon or you can buy it for 6.99 as a new copy from ICM, International Christian Books. I see one of those. Because it's actually quite important. Whatever you do, don't get your eschatology from Google. Man of lawlessness. I just think we need to know, to have a, a preparedness. It will just stop us putting all of our roots down here. It will just save us from becoming so materialistic and so comfortable that we never think about the future. Because Paul here, in verse 2 and 3, he, uh, he says, if we just get a grip of what the future holds, we will live in hope and a sense of excitement, but one, we will not be shaken, two, we will not be alarmed, and three, we will not be deceived. So that's the first thing. Don't believe all you hear. The, the second thing is that your fears may not be realized. Verses 3 to 8 is pretty alarming. Uh, particularly when I haven't got a clem, what it's on about. Let me read it to you again. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The rebellion? That's the rebellion. Well, he'd explain to them what the rebellion was, but he doesn't explain it here. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of doom. <laughs> that doesn't sound very encouraging. H who's he? Well, he's already explained it to them. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object. So there is a person of, of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what it, it is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work on a... Only he, he, notice, who, is now, who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. How much of that did I understand? 
Well, not a lot. I will take it on face value that there's going before the, the world ends, there's going to be a massive rebellion against God and a hating of Christians. Well, as he says, that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And if you live in Iraq today, you'll know all about it. But is, is he referring to, is he drawing a parallel because in, in, a, in B.C. 196, Antiochus Epiphanes came into Jerusalem and sacrificed pigs on the high altar. So there were memories. Daniel 11 talks about those who will come to desecrate the holy place. As I've said, Caligula had a go. So were they all prototypes of this human being who aspires to be greater than God, because that's what it says, um, and somebody who's going to come and make almost like Satan's final fling before the Lord Jesus comes and brings all of his efforts to an end. And then there's this restraining, verses 6 and 7. If you read the commentaries, it's not easy quite to know. Some say that it was the law and order of the Roman Empire that was restraining evil. Some say it was an angel. Some say it was the Spirit of God. Some say it was the preaching of the gospel. I'm not sure that the emphasis, when we're looking at these difficult verses, need necessarily lie there. What's going to happen? Well, broadly speaking, and I can only paint with a broad brush, things are going to get worse before they get better. The future for you and I, that evil is going to increase, where the, the government, Teresa, is, is not going to put the world right. That the scriptures and Jesus on the Mount of Olives says that this world is going to be a more and more difficult place for a Christian to live in. But then, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come in triumph. Now, I think I would say two things that need to... Do, do you remember Frank Peretti? Did anybody read Christian novels? Piercing the darkness. Well, do you know, all I can say, I hope you make better use of your time in future. That... That he, he wrote these books. Do, do, do you remember the A-team? Do, do you remember the A-team? Yeah, I, I, I preferred the A-team. And the plot of the A-team was that the good guys were always getting cornered by the bad guys. And every week it used to look as if the whole thing was going to come crashing down and something terrible. But then at the last minute, we're out and the good guys win. Uh, and the implication of so much that people draw, particularly Mr. Peretti, is that Jesus is getting into some kind of a fix. That the world is running out of his control. No, 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 that's not. Paul is writing here so that we are absolutely clear who orders history. Who knows the end from the beginning? 
that as um, Simon Ponsonby wrote a book on the second coming that's still in print, and that I, I, I like the title more than the book. The title of the book is The Lamb Wins. The Lamb Wins. The Lord Jesus comes back in power and destroys puts an end to all of the rebellion and all that Satan and his representatives have set up to do, the Lord Jesus is the victor. He will triumph. That we are on the right. And he, 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 when he died on the cross, he destroyed principalities and powers. But the scripture, and here no less than anywhere, is, is just testimony that Jesus has got my future and the future of the world well under control. I don't need to fear. Your fears may not be realized. That my idea that, that things are going to get from bad to worse and then it'll all end in a terror. No, it'll all end with Jesus coming in triumph and a new heaven and a new earth being established where righteousness dwells. Don't believe all you hear. Your fears may not be realized. And then all that glitters. Verse 9 onwards. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all powers and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends him a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. This is quite difficult, isn't it? It says that towards the end of this age, the devil is going to be doing wonders and it will be very difficult to know whether that was God or whether it was the evil one. Discernment will be at a premium. That, that, that Paul is saying that to, things are going to get spiritually confusing. That, uh, that, that the devil can do miraculous signs. It, it, it always perplexed me when you read about the Exodus with, with, with uh, Moses in Egypt and he gets his staff and throws it down and it becomes a snake. And, 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 and then the bad guys do exactly the same thing. And you think, they shouldn't be able to do that. But here, Paul is saying something similar. The evil will do a replica of the work of God. And the devil is able to do that. Something that's a lie and spurious. I, I remember... And just discerning this is quite difficult, isn't it? I remember my father at the time wasn't a Christian. And uh, we were going to, he was going to buy, we were going to buy a car. I was buying the car, but off a friend of his at work. And this chap's wife had been poorly. And dad said, oh, well, they're religious like you. I said, oh. He said, yes, she's been healed like you talk about. I said, oh. She said, yes, she went to a Christian science healing meeting and the, the condition that she had has disappeared. I said, oh, it's very interesting and it was a, a, a severe warning to me really that dad 
subsequent to that, used to tell me about all the other illnesses. It was almost as if the devil took one layer of illnesses, illness off this woman in order to draw her in. And then the depression and heaviness and suicidal tendencies just seemed to come in like a flood afterwards. And, and so you think, well, if all that glitters, how, how do I know whether that miracle, how do I know whether that person who's preaching, who has, makes all of these claims, is actually God? Do you ever think that? Is this God or is it worse? And I, another personal illustration, if I may do that briefly. Um, when I was at, went at, at, at college, it was the beginning of the charismatic movement, and um, I, I, I was reading, I was a student in Liverpool and, and, and reading a book, and I, I just felt the presence of the Lord all around me. And there were phrases uh, of a language I didn't really understand, and I, on the tip of my tongue, that's the best way I can describe them, uh, as, as if they, they, were, they were words that were just there, and I started to speak to them. And I thought, oh, I'm speaking in tongues. Oh, this is very exciting. And uh, so I did for a while, and then I thought, hmm, what if this is the devil? What if I'm making it up? Have you ever had those kind of thoughts? I, that I, I, I think this is God, but how can I be sure? And in the end, I, I traveled from Liverpool back home to Lancaster and went to see my pastor and said, you know, what do I do? Because by then I'd stopped. I'd have thought, well, you know, I, I don't trust myself with this. And he said, what, what Barry said, he said, David, I want you to go for a walk. And he said, when you, I want you to go for a walk across a field and I want you to speak in this language as you walk across the field. And when you get to the other side of the field, ask yourself the question, is the Lord Jesus dearer to me now than he was when I started? Do, do I find my spirit lifted? Do, do I find myself delighting and, and wonder with the Lord Jesus more than previously? So I thought, oh, well, that, that's, that's fine. I'll do that. And I, I went for a walk, more than one field. And, and I just felt that, found that the Lord Jesus was sweet to my, to my heart. As I spoke these words, I didn't fully understand. I was praying a prayer language. And I think it's a fair test in answer to the question that, is the Lord Jesus glorified? When you're listening to this faith healer so-called, is Jesus exalted? Is he speaking about the cross? Is he speaking about how wonderful Jesus is in the midst of his talk about miracles? Because if there's one thing, and by the time you get to the end of our reading, that uh, it, it's quite dramatic, isn't it? That the, and with all the wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong... And it, <clears throat> there's this, this dividing between people. I, I need to be on the right side. That's what Paul is saying. 
I need, I need to be a follower of Jesus. That There are personal choices here and how dangerous it is to refuse the truth. How very dangerous. The, the, the consequences and outcomes are terrible. And people refuse the truth for all kinds of ways. But here is the warning. I, I wonder when you were looking this morning and you saw that David was going to speak from 2 Thessalonians 2 and you thought, oh good, the man of sin. He's going to tell us who he is. I, I hope you're not disappointed that I haven't taken that emphasis <clears throat> and haven't constructed a theory. I, I don't think Paul was speculating here. I think he was encouraging us. He, he's, he's telling us not to believe all you hear. Is it in the scripture? Is it consistent with what the Bible says? That your fears may not be realized. Don't, don't read books about the man of sin. Read books about the Lord Jesus coming in power and great glory who will defeat him. And if you come across the, the sensational or the supernatural, ask yourself the question, is Jesus glorified here? Because the future is mapped out. The, the Lord Jesus said that the Father knows the day. I don't know the day. One of the good things about electronic diaries is that the day is in my diary it's just not noted there if it runs forward long enough but the Lord Jesus is coming in power and glory he it's it's what's called his shining forth his appearing and God has got it all in a plan it's going to happen the end is absolutely certain and while Paul is writing here, he's writing in order to encourage us that an expectation of that future might shape my present, might just be a buffer from being too preoccupied with the here and now, that might just lift my eyes beyond present suffering. But beyond the difficult things in life to say, ah, but the Lord Jesus is coming. And <clears throat> I may be laid in the grave, but there will be a resurrection. If you're a Christian, your future is mapped. The Lord Jesus the Father has it all under control and the Lord Jesus is the center point of all the future. I just need to make absolutely sure that I'm following him. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came the first time to redeem us and to reconcile us to God through your death, and to give us life and hope through your resurrection. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that 
you have gone to the Father's right hand and one day you will return in glory. And all that this world and the evil one that will try to do to prevent it will be absolutely futile. Lord Jesus, it's a wonderful thing this morning for us to know and recognize that we are yours and that you have mapped out our future, that you have prepared a place for us, that if we die in, in this life, that we will rise again, and that if we happen to be here when your coming occurs, we will rise also to be with you forever. Lord, will you let these things shape our hope and our future, and our expectations. In Jesus' name, amen.